0: Welcome to the documentary from the BBC World Service, where we report the world, however difficult the issue, however hard to reach. Podcasts from the BBC World Service are supported by advertising. Hello, I'm Caroline Barker, and welcome to this bonus episode in the documentary from the BBC World Service. I host the BBC Sports Hour. We're less about the scores and tactics, more interested how sport and society meet and hearing the personal stories behind the stars of sport. On Sunday, the 11th of February, the most watched annual sporting game in the world takes place. Las Vegas, with its neon flashing and its one-armed bandits crashing. City, where they're all living the devil may care, and fortunes turn on the spin of a wheel, but where this week, only red will be successful. (laughs) On Sunday, either defending champions Kansas City or the San Francisco 49ers will celebrate lifting the Vince Lombardi Trophy in the wildest party city on earth.
1: Touchdown San Francisco Ayuk, Ayuk, Ayuk is on fire. That happens.
0: Remember where you heard it first. How has it taken the Super Bowl 58 years to arrive on the Strip, where American showmanship and brazen bravado belongs? This is Vegas, baby. So who's going to win it all? Will it be the been-there, done-it-before quarterback Patrick Mahomes, or the no longer Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy.
2: Niners ended up drafting me, I got drafted last and I was I was grateful for that and I took that opportunity.
0: I mean, your goal is to be the best player that you can be. If I can get close to 7, but 7 seems like a long ways away still. They're going to give it everything they've got and they'll need lady luck to stay hot as they look to score 7 with every shot. Viva Las Vegas. I'm Caroline Barker, and this is Sports Hour at the Super Bowl, where the stories off the field are just as big as on it. Did someone say Taylor Swift?
2: Uh, They just needed one of the best tight ends of all time to strike up a romance with uh, the biggest pop star on the planet, and now you're cooking with bacon grease.
0: And most importantly, it's about the fans.
2: This is our year. It has to be. I can't take the torture anymore, crying in the shower. Those days have to be over.
0: Over the next hour, we'll bring you the build-up.
2: Oh, I think I'll be saying the Chiefs are a dynasty, that they have completed it, and that Kansas City is uh, the center of the universe as far as we're concerned.
0: The bonkers. I think they've added up more numbers than the other team. Yes, they have more numbers. Patrick, come on.
1: And the brilliantly inspirational. When I cut my fingers off, it helped me to actually live. It helped me to be able to dream bigger. When I removed these fingers, I was able to go conquer the
0: world. Hold on to your hats, it's going to be a hell of a ride. There's a few reasons you come to Vegas, mainly, it's to gamble. Perhaps you're on a bachelor or bachelorette party, maybe even to get married. You can take in a magic show or see Adele, but Super Bowl weekend in Vegas cuts differently. A cab driver told me a hotel room normally $500 is costing $4,000 this weekend, and ticket prices, well, they'd make your eyes water. That's because Super Bowl Sunday is effectively a public holiday. Those who don't watch another game all season happily settle down in front of the TV. And sure, some are more interested in the halftime show. For the record, it's Usher this year. But whoever you are, fan, coach, player, it's a really important day. And this year, it's impossible to avoid talking about Taylor Swift. She's giving a concert in Tokyo on Saturday, but is expected here by Sunday, kick-off 3.30 local time, to watch her Kansas City boyfriend, Travis Kelsey.
2: She's, uh, she's unbelievable. She's, uh, she's rewriting the history books herself. Uh, I told her I'll have to hold up my end of the bargain and come home with some hardware too.
0: It's a real rarity to see the Super Bowl through the eyes of a player's partner. But that's exactly what we're going to do in the company of Cindy Feasel, who met her husband, former Seattle Seahawk Grant, when he was just starting out on the road to the NFL. And Cindy, well, she went along for the ride.
2: Grant loved football and football was a huge part of our life. So even when he wasn't playing in the game, we were watching it somehow, some way. For you as, I mean, you can tell us about how you met as sweethearts, but, but was that very much part of your life before meeting Grant? Of course, of course, because i um... I didn't really know he was an athlete. I just thought he was a, I, I'll use the word hot guy now. <laughs> he, I just thought he was a great looking guy. He was from Southern California and he looked just like the typical surfer dude. That's what he looked like. <laughs> you know, he was six, seven. He was uh, this Greek God looking guy. I mean, he was amazing. You know, I was like, I won the lottery. I'm actually going out with this hot dude. you know? Hey, I'm sure he felt the same about you. He felt the same about you, right? I'm just saying, I was like, oh my goodness, this is way, way, way unbelievable. So um, I knew he was really smart and athletic, which, you know, was an automatic draw because you don't always get smarts and athletic together. Skip forward to him making the NFL, you starting a family as well. It sounds like, well, the dream. Yeah, it came to life because he was drafted into the NFL in the fifth round, which was, I mean, shocking. (laughs) He um, was super smart. He was an academic All-American all four years of college. He was uh, voted as most likely to succeed and won every award that there possibly was to win. So he had wanted to be a dentist and he'd taken all the tests to go to school to be a dentist. And he had been accepted into every dental school in the state of Texas. And now he was drafted in the fifth round to play professional football. So, of course, we were like, it was a mutual decision. Let's just ride this out and see what happens. It was amazing. It was like, wait, I want to pinch myself. Is this for real?
0: More from Cindy and her experience of NFL life to come. Separated by 26 years, Shaquem Griffin also spent most of his career as a Seattle Seahawk. His love for the game was just as strong, but his route to the NFL was very different.
1: Hey, hey, how you doing? What's up? hey back, Joe. This is my son Jun-Ju.
0: It's so funny because growing up I'd
1: never been to an NFL game. My first NFL game is when my brother got drafted by the Seattle Seahawks. and I came to the game when he played at the Jaguars. That was my first time at an NFL game. When I was like six, seven, eight, I started watching these highlight videos of Ray Lewis and how he was hitting Ed Reed making interceptions, celebrating, taking it back like It was unbelievable. I see the Deion Sanders with the chains and he's like, I'm prime time. So this is like, it caught my interest. Like, oh, they look so cool. I was attracted for football because of the guys who was playing and they made me a fan. Like, you know what? You just woke up a dream in this little guy.
0: A dream indeed. But the chances of making it to the NFL are tiny. Odds so fantastic, even Vegas bookmakers would blush at taking your money. And for Shaquem, There was another obstacle, one so challenging no one had ever attempted to overcome. One he was born with.
1: What I had was called ambiotic band syndrome, which means I had a thin tissue that was right around my wrist that cut off circulation. And that's when I came out and my hand wasn't fully developed. I didn't have the bone density or anything. It was just five digits, just tissue. I couldn't do anything where if I hit it or touch it, it was so sensitive to touch and, and anything that if I get a cut on it, it's severe pain because it's just the tissues that was there. So it made it sensitive. So I used to be that guy watching my brothers play, you know, in the streets, having fun, playing football, screaming touchdown, doing a celebration dance, and knowing that I couldn't be a part of that. Then it was one particular night I was in my, you know, me and my brother had bunk beds. It was pushed up against the wall, and I used to toss and turn. This is normal, normal kid stuff. And I hit my hand on the wall, and I woke up crying, screaming and crying. I went into the kitchen, climbed on top of the kitchen drawer, and tried to find the biggest knife I could find. I was trying to remove my own fingers with the knife, and my mom stopped me. And, you no, know, being a, a father now, I understand how traumatic that could be for, you know, a parent. And I, it's so funny because I used to tell my mom, like, I wasn't that serious. But now I'm a parent, and I was like, oh, man, I already put you through some stuff. That's crazy. Like, I, now I apologize for that, but she had to make a big decision. And the next day, I'm in the hospital, and my mom worked at the hospital, so I thought it was take your child to work day. I didn't even know I was going there for an The next thing you know, they putting a mask on my face and talking to a doctor. I'm falling asleep. Like, what's happening? And I woke up with bandages. Then gets removed. And my mom to say, don't go outside and get them bandages dirty. Don't go outside and, you know, mess up the bandages and open up your stitches. One ear out the other. Like, what? I'm back outside the same day. Out there playing with my brothers. And I don't know if I was on, like, the meds and stuff. I didn't feel anything. But I was out there playing, catching the ball, running with them. And... I came in, I was, yes, I got in trouble, but the thing is for me is I gained something like that. Even though I cut my fingers off, when I cut my fingers off, it helped me to actually live. It helped me to be able to dream bigger. What do you have to cut off to live your dream? I cut off my fingers to be able to live my dream. When I removed these fingers, I was able to go conquer the world. And that was a mentality, but no matter who I was going against or whatever coach or whatever stigma that they have for para-athletes, they thought that I didn't deserve to be there, so I had to prove that I did. I mean, I learned to catch the ball when I was 7 or 8, but I took a lot of hits to the face. My dad was our biggest motivator. Our dad was our, our biggest critic and our biggest fan, in that order. <laughs> like, so when he used to train us and stuff, like my dad, I used to call my dad the mad scientist. Like before, I ain't never had no prosthetic growing up. I didn't get my first prosthetic until I got my scholarship, until I got an NFL deal. And they paid for my prosthetic because it's expensive. You're talking about $40,000 plus. My dad created machinery inside the garage with, I don't know, whatever tools he was using. And he was like, well, if I can do it, you can do it. When it came to us catching a football, my dad would throw a line right at your forehead. And he was like, you're going to eventually stop it. And he was right. And you take a couple of hits in the face that you'll learn how to stop the ball. And then, boom, now I know how to catch. I know how to look the ball all the way in. It's like, I cannot this thing hit my nose again. It may be seem kind of rough, but it's like, I have to learn it the hard way. And for me, is I'm like, Dad, I want to run the ball. I want to run the ball. He's like, no, you can't. I was like, why are you saying I can't run the ball? He's like, because every time you fumble, everybody's going to be like, oh, you got one hand. And I was like, I'm not going to fumble. And I was like, well, you try to take the ball from me. And my dad tried to take the ball. He's trying to, like, throw me to the tree if he needed to. But I never let go of the ball. I said, Dad, I'm not going to let nobody take the ball. And I used to go score 13, 14 touchdowns in the season. I was that guy. You know, but it's just like my dad had that mentality. He's just like, you know what? I'm going to tell you that you can't do it and you got to prove it. And it's like, I did it. And It's like, now you're ready. I was always uh, that guy who was always into exercise, smart, watch film. So when I got to college, I used to, during the camp, I used to sleep inside the facility for two and a half months. I got a blow up mattress and I step inside the linebacker meeting room. It is suck sleeping in a big old facility by yourself for two months and hearing like the scary sounds of the air conditioner coming on. It's just like no one here, but me. So who is that? So it was scary, but it's like, I wanted to do that because, like, I'm all in. So I used to watch film all through the night. I used, to, I used to lift weights 2, 3 in the morning, and then I'd be at practice ready to go at 7 a.m. And after a while, once the season started, everybody trusted me. I was a leader. Everybody believed me. When I spoke, everybody listened.
0: We'll hear more from Shaquem on how he'd go on to achieve his dream. It's unusual that the headlines on Super Bowl week would be so dominated by a pop star, unless they are the halftime show, But with Taylor Swift stepping out with Kansas tight end Travis Kelsey, it's wall to wall tay tay. The NFL commissioner was even forced to reject wild claims that the organization had manufactured the romance. USA Today's Victoria Hernandez covers the crossover of American football and pop culture.
1: Yeah, there's this wacky storyline that, because it's an election year here in the United States too, that. One side is creating this storyline that Taylor Swift is going to be at the Super Bowl and she's going to endorse Joe Biden and there's lots of different like nuances and layers and versions of the story.
2: It's hard. I can imagine being a celebrity in general is hard. People always are guessing your motives and just in general politics is so messy sometimes here in the United States. It's like people always want to hate, you know?
1: (laughs) I think it shows if you're not happy, you try to make someone else, someone
2: else's happiness can't be genuine. That's a thing.
0: <laughs> I'm not sure what the odds are here in Vegas for the upcoming election. But game-wise, Kansas are slight favourites. But whoever wins, they'll be taking nothing for chance. No reliance on luck. Instead, a steadfast togetherness. A team based in brotherhood. And us-against-everybody attitude makes teams successful. But it can come at a cost. That's what Cindy Fiesel realised once husband
2: Grant got to the NFL. The ultimate guys club, right? I mean, really, besides being maybe a Navy SEAL or a Green Beret or... I mean, these are like the elite of the elites. And it automatically put a big deficit between me and him because I wasn't in that club. He was. So all of a sudden, my dreams and plans and his dreams and plans were different. It was exciting and wonderful. I was happy for him and so appreciative of what was happening to us, but yet not really having any identification of my own, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And people didn't talk about that back in the 80s. It was more what the man wanted and not so much what the woman wanted. And I was an artist. I had hopes and dreams about that. But he was excited. And I got caught up in the excitement, too, because it's amazing, you know, going to games and being at NFL games and being 20 years old and thinking your husband's a part of this. It was an amazing experience. It sounds, in parts, isolating. Very. And I like that word. I was isolated. He knew all the guys I didn't know anymore. Uh, One Sounds like, though...
0: I imagine there might be people who see this in in everyday life and think, gosh, though, that's the All-American dream. Yes. There's the NFL star.
2: Yes. How could you talk about anything negative?
0: Superficially, this dream then
2: is being led by both of you. But when did things start to shift? Right around the same time as our first one was born. Grant had already had a serious injury. He started using steroids to build himself up after this injury. That was around the time that I started noticing he was making decisions about things like doing steroids and things like that without communicating with me and not really telling me what he knew about it, which even then they knew that steroids could cause anger and could cause personality changes. That was when he started coming home with little baggies of pills. And I would say, what, what is this? So he says, oh, this is just a little something to help me sleep. You know, I mean, he already at that point, he had a lot of aches and pains. And remember, we didn't talk about concussions. Concussions has become a buzzword, but it was, nobody talked about concussions back in the day. He would talk about his bell getting rung. And he played um, a really tough game at the Mile High Stadium in Denver. He got knocked out again. He said it was a different kind of concussion. It was like everything went black except for just a little small circle. And I could just see out of this little small circle and I could hear all the crowd cheering and yelling. And he said, and and they put me back in the game. I mean, <laughs> so none of those things sounded normal to me. I know you say you're not
0: communicating, but clearly you love him. Ah, yes. So do you try and have these conversations with him? You know, that's not normal. That shouldn't be happening.
2: Grant's concussions, it didn't seem to be made as big a deal on these NFL teams. It just wasn't. And he continued to play. And it was almost like I said to myself, oh, well, you know what? You're not on crutches and nothing's broken. So I guess you're good. I mean, a concussion is an invisible injury, right? We don't see it. I now know that your brain is like jello. And so every hit counts. It's not a concussion. It's every time your brain is shaking, you know, it's mashing around against your skull. It's not good. We all love football and we all get caught up in the game. But the bottom line is, is people think that, you know, these people aren't real. And these plays, every game doesn't affect them and their lives, but it does. And players are more likely to have ALS and dementia, Parkinson's disease. All of these things are more likely for an NFL player than they are for anyone else. It's very dangerous, but nobody talks about it.
0: (laughs) Cindy was beginning to realise her dream life with an NFL star wasn't all it was made out to be, but she had no idea of the nightmare just around the corner. This is the documentary from the BBC World Service. (laughs) You were fed up of talking about Taylor Swift.
2: <laughs> uh, contractually, I'm not fed up talking. To, no, I'm kidding.
0: I'm here on Radio Row with Jonathan Jones, CBS's NFL insider. He's normally only talking about tactics and teams, but not this week.
2: I find it to be really harmless and quite fun for a lot of people. I haven't really understood why, every, why so many people are upset about it.
0: Is that that combination of of culture, show, everything that we're in Vegas for, I guess, colliding with the NFL?
2: That's right. And, you know, the NFL for years has tried to capture a female audience. And (laughs) this just fell into their laps. (laughs) You know, all the years of all the pink jerseys and whatever else the league was trying to do, uh, they just needed one of the best tight ends of all time to strike up a romance with uh, the biggest pop star on the planet. Uh, And now you're cooking with bacon grease.
0: One of the lesser-spoken-about effects of Taylor Swift here at Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. I'm Caroline Barker and this is Sports Hour at the Super Bowl. When we last heard from Shaquem Griffin, he was fighting hard for his dream to be accepted as even possible. With only one hand, his journey to the NFL was always going to be an extraordinary struggle. But this story isn't just about Shaquem. It's also about his twin brother and fellow star Shaquille. Both attended the UCF, the University of Central Florida, but Shaquem faced a difficult time.
1: You know, when I go talk to coaches when I was getting recruited, like, even though I was making a lot of plays on the field, when recruiters came, they still chose not to choose me as a person to talk to. They chose my brother. When will I be noticed for the football player I am instead of like, well, this is a liability. Like, yeah, he plays good football, but he has one hand. So I always had to prove myself multiple times just to be seen for the first time. My brother got his first scholarships from the University of South Florida. The coach called us and said, you know what? I want to see you know, Shaquille Griffin come out here and do the camp. And then Ray Shaquem also. On our way to the camp, my brother said, Mom, I'm going to sit out. I don't want to participate. I want all the focus to be on Shaquem. My brother looked at me like, go ball out. And during that camp, I had no ball calling me. I had three interceptions, and I was just dominating a top recruit who had full-ride scholarships, and I didn't. At the end of that camp, the head coach brought me to the office to offer me a full ride. But this is a kicker. The first thing he said was, I apologize. I was looking at the wrong thing. What do you think he was looking at? A guy with one hand or a guy who should have had an offer from the get-go? And he seen me show it once again that I'm a baller and he gave me a full ride scholarship and I turned it down.
0: A brave move to turn down a scholarship, one that nearly cost Shaquem his dream. But eventually, he did get on a college team. Life, though, was still tough.
1: I had coaches used to talk down to me. You know, you're just going to be a shadow of your brother. Or you really think that you want to be the one-handed player and that's going to play D1 on this field? Oh, okay, this is funny. This is funny to watch you go do this. When I go back in my dorm room, all of emotions fills up. It's hard to deal with all of emotion, knowing that I got to go back here tomorrow and deal with the same stuff. And then actually, no, a year or two go by, my third year, and I get sent home to keep out of school. And the head coach tells me, I want to see if your brother can do well without you. As if I was a distraction. And it's just like, well, I'm not playing yet. I'm trying to do my best to get out there. You're not even giving me an opportunity. I'm not getting in trouble in school. So why would you send me home? So now I'm at home working two jobs, towing cars from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. I'm working out from 7.30 to 8.30. I'm cleaning the Dodge building, which sells vehicles from 9.30 to 12.30 at night. From Monday through Saturday. And it's nothing I can do. My brother used to call me every single day. Like, hey stay focused, stay ready, keep working out, keep having faith. And I'll talk to my brother now. I was like, do you know when it was 18, 19 years old, what you were saying? Did you know what you was instilling in me at the time? He was like, no, nah, not really. I just wanted the best for you, bro. I just wanted you to be back. That's what I held on to. My brother said, you know what? We came in together and if anybody going to believe him, it will be me. If you don't want to, will get my trash feels together because we're both going to Juco and then he quit and walked out. So, and as I get a phone call and say, are you ready to come back? Well, of course, like, please, like. I'm getting out these truck right now. Like, I'm coming. Yeah, I'm coming back. And it's crazy because, like, once I got back and people were like, oh, well, did it get better? Like, no, it was still being belittled, still being, you know, talked down to. Who wants to cut our hair off. Like, whatever it is to get us to leave or get me to leave, it's going to do it. And my brother was sit there every single time. Like, when well, you make me cut my hair off, if you don't cut your hair off, I'm going to kick you back off the team. My brother sat right next to me. My mom was on FaceTime watching this cut-eye air. She's crying. We're crying. It's like, this is the time that we've been belittled. And we was like, you know what? We're going to stay together. And my brother didn't have to do it because he was a starter, but he sat there and did it with me anyway. And what I'm trying to say is sometimes when you're going through certain things and you got people who support you, people who love you, people who believe in you, sometimes you got to hold on to their belief they have in you until yours wake up. I held on to my brother's faith that he had in me until mom woke up. When I had an opportunity to get back and we got new coaching style, I knew I'd be doing a disservice if I didn't believe in. I'm going to take
0: my chances. I'm going to go whatever it takes. And then next day, no, it was no more looking back. And so after many years of waiting, Shaquem and Shaquille took to the field together for the first time at college and then in the NFL.
1: My first official play next to my brother, he was a senior in college. Finally get to play next to my brother and since high school. I remember my first play, I ran down the ball. I literally, full anxiety, started throwing the ball As I'm running behind a guy and I'm calling my brother, like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I don't know what's going on. My brother grabbed my helmet and said, listen, you couldn't breathe. You want me talking. Relax and go enjoy playing football. You're finally here. After that, three and a half sacks later, a forced fumble. Uh, well, two, a forced fumble, a fumble recovery. And they said, no, I'm on the radio after the game. Like, have you heard of Shaquem Griffin and Skyrocket ever since? I started my first game in my, my career going against the Broncos. My mom was there. And it's just, it was it was emotional, honestly. It's just like, wow. And you you walk into the stadium, you see them lights, and when you walk out and they say your name, and you hear in a crowd just roaring, like, I was like, man, I used to watch this YouTube video like this when Ray Lewis would come out and do his dance, and the fans like, oh, my God. And I just remember just going around, putting my hands up. It's just like everybody just roaring at you, like, oh, my God, he's here. Yeah. No matter if it was Seattle, no matter if it's Denver, like no matter, it was other fans from different teams who were still roaring my name. So it was goosebumps, even now. Like it was unbelievable. My mom crying like both her babies giving her a group hug and then we boom, we going out on the field to go play ball. Like it it sounds like a Cinderella story, but you're talking about the one percent of it, but it's like for two twins to be drafted to the same team. That one percent goes lower and lower and lower. Like these percentages people talk about that's impossible that we're rewriting history. Literally in 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 plain day. Like we write rewriting history. But it's like it's funny because people say people like, only one percent goes to the the NFL or even get drafted. I said, So what am I? My dad was like, My baby just made it. My babies are here. And he used to get to this day. My brother been in the league, what, nine years now? eight years, and he's still getting nervous. Like, there yeah, we're almost 30. Even when I'm retired, watching my brother play, I'm, like, yelling. And he was like, what happened? What happened? I was like, Dad, just come watch the game. Like, I can't, but tell me what happened. And it was like, I just, just how he is. My mom, she became a football head. What's going on in there? That's a terrible call. Like, she's a football fan. And it's funny because she didn't grow up being a football fan. You know, her, her son started playing. Her son started getting really good. Everybody's like, is these are boys? These are boys. And then, boom, now my mom is a football fanatic, like, my dad was like, oh, your mom watched too much football. But it's just like, cause think about it. You just watched over 20-something years of football. You're about to become a fan of it.
0: The first one-handed player to make it to the NFL. And we'll hear who Shaquin Griffin thinks will win on Sunday here in Las Vegas the city where the difference between a fairy tale ending and losing it all can be determined by the roll of the dice. When we first met Cindy Feasel, she was appearing to be living the American dream, but her husband Grant, an NFL star, was spiraling out of control, and he was about to take Cindy and their children down with him.
2: I think that Grant got hooked on these pills when he was in the NFL I mean even before he retired he was starting to come home with you know a 12 pack (laughs) and not only a 12 pack but then he started coming home with Jack Daniels and I was like and this became this started becoming an everyday thing so the day he retired I remember he drank a bottle of Jack Daniels and he gave me a gift I opened the gift and I looked at it and I said I thought it was a joke at first because it was a beautiful ring but he had given me a ring just like it a year before on our anniversary (laughs) and I said okay wait a minute did you wrap that ring up and give that to me again and he said what are you talking about and I said you gave me a ring just like this last year and I showed him both and he was like astounded no recollection of it no so this is how okay so he had played 117 games over 10 years and this is how we ended our career (laughs) <laughs> he was already drinking and soon after he retired he got connected with doctors that were willing to give him painkillers and um, the alcohol continued to get worse and then what even with strangers and he was hiding it he would like hi big bottles of crown oil big bottles of jack daniels we had a bar in our house and he would hide them in his closet and i would find them when i was putting out clothes he would say you don't know how i feel everything hurts this is the only relief i have." by that time we had three kids so my third child i had to have a c-section and i got um at the time do they asked me that they gave me like two prescriptions of some kind of painkiller just because i'd have the c-section well i never took but one because they made me feel terrible And I didn't even realize until months, months later, I opened up a little cabinet in our bathroom and I saw all of those prescriptions. He had gone and had them filled for me. (laughs) So that I mean, it was those kind of things. They weren't good for our marriage. We had a lot of arguments. Mm -hmm. I'm a talker and I love to talk about everything. And he would be like, no, no, I, I don't want to talk about this. There's nothing I can do. This is the only relief I can get. And I need you to just leave me alone. I mean, it just, he was impossible. I never dreamed that this amazingly wonderful, gifted, talented, precious Renaissance man, that's you, i married, right? had turned into a stonewalling, I'm not going to discuss anything, but like a total personality shift. Again, remember, nobody was talking about CTE. (laughs) Nobody was talking about the fact that uh, concussions, all the brain uh, things that could have happened. Grant had played football from age eight to 32. Imagine how many concussions he had had over all of that span. It changes your personality. The kids, they also are trying to find their way out of all this trauma too because their dad was missing from their life. I mean, we've all been in a free fall. Ever since Grant died, and he died in 2012, (laughs) we were married for 29 years of dysfunction. 29 years. All he did for me is fade away from me for 29 years. Grant passed away aged 52. I remember thinking he could finally be free. Uh, He said to me once, I had no idea that what I loved the most would have ended up. Taking everything that I loved away from me. Profound. You know, so misunderstood. Poor thing. And I didn't have the compassion, empathy, because I had no recourse. All I had was the man that I'd married and loved that changed and didn't want to really communicate about anything with me. And As we got to the very end, we ended up divorcing because he was insane, and he was being physically abusive, mentally abusive, and emotionally abusive, and had been for so many years. We were just left standing there, and then he was gone and left us holding this huge mess of a life that he had just not paid any attention to. You know, total irresponsibility for everything. And again, an academic All-American for four years in college and graduated with a 4.0. How do you explain that? I mean, it's bizarre. I guess it was about five years after he died, I had the nerve. (laughs) And look up CTE. All the symptoms that they listed, Grant had every one of them. I mean, most of the guys that had died ahead of him had all killed themselves. He didn't, but he did. He drank himself to death. He took the soliloquy. Other people had put a gun in their mouth. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or to their chest. But he took the it. Did that give you an answer?
0: Because I hear lots of anger. I don't know whether you blamed yourself, whether you blamed him for for not knowing why he had taken this path the minute that you looked up you found that diagnosis, did that relieve you of some of that that
2: anger, that blame, or relieve your thoughts of him? Yes. It gave me a lot of answers, but yet then it had a whole nother thing that I had to deal with, which was just the grief. I didn't know. But I could have done it. I could have done anything for him. But I truly, I should have just separated from her. Because, you know, there's people in in our world that blamed me for, like, putting the last nail of the coffin. Because I left. But I could only have handled so much. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, it wasn't him. It wasn't him. Now I know that. But I didn't know that then. Moving forward is hard to do. I I feel I feel bad for my kids, and it's been lonely because a lot of people just don't understand it. They were mad at him because of what he did to me and the kids, but yet they feel bad for him. I mean, it's just there was no winners; we were all losers. And uh, I I have comfort in knowing that he would have never been this way if he hadn't have had CT. But he took away the best years of my life.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Cindy, for for sharing that. Are you okay
2: to continue? I am. I am. I, I get sad. I keep thinking <laughs> that I'm okay. We started
0: off talking about the Super Bowl and what it meant to you when you were younger and this happiness and this dream for both of you, not knowing what was to come. I wonder as we approach this year's Super Bowl, because there'll be plenty of, of mums, of wives, of sisters, of people that, that are about to start on that journey. They're, to watch their very first Super Bowl, to, to experience it with their,
2: their partner who's an athlete, what you would say to them about you, your story? We look at reviews for everything now, right? Even if we order something from Amazon, we go to the reviews to see if it's the best pair of tennis shoes, right? (laughs) So I'm just saying, look at the reviews up ahead. It could be everything from soccer to hockey. So not just football. And I think that I don't talk enough about women that could have and do have these same issues. Uh, The research is not nearly as wide on women as it is on men, which seems to be very unfair to me. So I say read the reviews, look at what a hand-banging sport can cause, and think about it before you put the most precious thing in the world to you in a position where they could have a very sad ending just because you wanted them to play something that seems to be exciting. How would you like your grandson to remember Grant? Oh, well, I always say, you know, we want them to know that he was great. He was greatness and he was wonderful. And we've got pictures of him when he was in his prime and he was in college and in the NFL and he was big and healthy looking and he was kind and sweet and he knew how to play the guitar. He knew how to play the piano. He loved poetry. So I want them to know all of the fabulous things that made him a five star, right? But I also know that they are going to have to know the other side of that story thank you cindy and And I know it's um difficult.
0: I can't imagine how difficult it is to relive these things every time you talk about it, but it's it's that keeping the other side of Grant alive as well Yes, and I do want to do that
2: <laughs> I do want to do that for for my for everybody because he deserved that, you know. He was a good person and he would be mortified if he had known how it was going to end. He would have never chosen that. He would have never chosen his career. He would have done something that would have been a safe, long life. He would want to see his grandkids.
0: <laughs> Down the famous Las Vegas Boulevard, neon signs are everywhere. And have you heard about the new Sphere? It's a massive ball of LED screens which show amazing images. One moment, it looks like the moon has landed on the strip. The next, a basketball. And for Super Bowl week, well, the cartoon character Spongebob Squarepants. Why? For the first time, football's youngest fans will be able to watch the Super Bowl announced by Spongebob and the rest of the gang from Bikini Bottom.
2: I'm Carolyn Lawrence and I play Sandy Cheeks, yee haw!
0: I'm Bill Fagerbakke, and I portray Patrick Starr. I'm a sea star, everyone, okay? Don't call me a starfish. You two and your brilliant acting is known the world over, but this link up with the NFL, how have you found it?
2: it's insane it's so exciting I can barely I don't know like it blows my mind that we're even here talking to you I I, I don't know the, the 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 big thing we all have are struggling to wrap our heads around is to be live so to do these characters that we've been doing for 25 years in a live context in what might be one of the biggest press oriented events in the world is really insane I'm trying not to I'll think about it. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: I'm going, yes, it is. It's really big. Yes, let's stop
2: talking or I'm going to get
0: really stressed out. <laughs> do you have to go deep into your soul to get into the character beforehand then? Because there's no retakes, is there? It's straight with it.
2: No, it's straight in there and we hope for the best and I hope I don't say anything that upsets anyone.
0: <laughs> Welcome to my world. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> that's sports. That's what you do. So take me to game day then. Who are you most looking forward to, to calling as they say in the sports world. What, what do you think? Give us a flavor of what you might say.
1: Oh, look at that one human.
0: Oh, he's hugging the other human. Oh, he likes him. Oh, they run so fast. I still might be able to get him though. <laughs> and for the final touchdown, the final moment when whomever, I know we're not calling it, goes, I mean, say it were, the fourth, you can go 49ers. I'll give you the Chiefs. I'm trying to see the reaction to your face with uh, your true (laughs) colours. What are you going to say when the 49ers lift the Vince Lombardi? Uh, uh, Okay, so the team that has numbers in their name because they're really good with math. I think they've added up more numbers than the other team. Yes, they have more numbers. Patrick! (laughs) Come on! Yeah, Patrick, only serious predictions here. Talking of which... Shaquem Griffin will tell us who he thinks will win in a moment. But although his chance of going to a Super Bowl has passed, having retired last year, his ability to inspire is cemented for life.
1: I, I became a motivation for the world, and I didn't know. I didn't know I was a motivation when I was in college. I didn't know. I didn't know that. People were like, oh, you so motivational. <laughs> Kudos. Nice. Nice. Why? Why? (laughs) I go, why? What's going on? And then, but I didn't didn't know, because mind you, like I said, I didn't know that I was considered disabled. You know, I used to go, I used to have coaches that I used to play against that used to call me handicapped, and I'll tweet like, you just messed up when you said that. And like, and I was getting broadcast on ESPN, like, oh, you messed up when you called King Griffin handicapped. Now he's going to ball out. And I actually did. So it's just like that. Don't call him that. Don't call him disabled and stuff like that. And it's, Crazy that you end up becoming motivational for that for that group of people. You end up becoming motivational for the disabled, the peril, the anything. And as I got older and then getting to the league and getting all this notoriety, and getting all these kids coming up. Like I used to go travel to different hospitals and see how these kids' faces me lit up. And I remember I met this one little girl who was eleven years old and had her legs amputated the day before. And when I met her, it's like Oh, my God, I love you so much. Like, I'm so happy my legs are gone because I can do this. I can do that. I can do this now. I can do that. And it's just like, for most people, when you see a little girl who lost their legs, you're going to think that she will be moping and down on herself about what she lost. But she only spoke about what she about to do and what she gained. That was an eye-opener for me. It was like, just because I'm living my truth and playing what I want to play and not letting somebody tell me that I can't, just open up this eyes for this one little girl that's saying, you know what? Now I can be a Paralympic athlete. Now I can embrace this. Continuing to know that you you belong. It's because you get used to having all them doubters and people saying stuff that sometimes you'll have them like little thoughts in your head that kind of raise up. It's like, do you deserve to be here? And it was something where I had to learn as I got older. Like, you do deserve it. You do deserve this. And go act like it and go show it. But thank you, as a young age, you don't know the tail stuff that. So when I was 21, 22, if I could tell myself that when I was 11, I'd probably be even more of a dog, even though I'm already a dog. You know, but even I've been telling myself that you deserve it. You deserve it. You deserve it. You should be here. You work for it. You deserve it because it wasn't handed to you. It literally wasn't handed to you. A lot of things, especially just in the world
0: in general, will not be handed to you. So that's about it from Sports Hour at the Super Bowl. I'll leave the last word to Shaquin Griffin on who will be crowned champions in Las Vegas.
1: I want San Fran because I used to play against them. I'm I'm a fan of Purdy. With that belief factor, I feel like San Fran has that. Even when they were down by 17 against a good Detroit, believing is one amazing thing. Everybody everybody said, I don't believe they they caught up in one. They did. It's the difference. You may not believe, but when they believed in somebody, and Purdy was a young guy who have been doing this thing, the whole team believed in that guy. The whole team believed in each other, and the coaches do too. Like, they they wasn't phased. They didn't panic. They didn't go run and fight each other and be mad. Like, if you notice when Baltimore played, you seen the frustration they had. You seen the cost of arguing, the cost of going back and forth. They were starting to fold from a mental standpoint, not from a physical standpoint, because up here it wasn't right. They was getting frustrated. And then when that frustration and all that mental stuff started going on, it starting to. Transpire on the field. Kansas City kept it poised, kept everything together, but they're used to doing it. Like they know what it looks like. We're gonna make it through. We got one at a time, guys. Stay poised. Once you start arguing, once you start getting frustrated, all that stuff transpires to the field. But Kansas City, been number four, they're poised. They know what they're doing. So it's a tough. It's, t- it's a tough. I won't say a win, but I think Kansas City gonna take it. You had to wait for that one. You had to see that one through <laughs>
0: From me, Caroline Barker, and producer Joel Hammer, thank you for listening to the documentary on the BBC World Service. And if you're hearing this before Super Bowl 58, enjoy. After, congratulations if you've won, and commiserations if you didn't.